0: I'm here today with Robert Richmond and uh, we're sitting in the outdoor terrace of the Mondrian Hotel <laughs> and you know what always amazes me Robert is that you, know, when you come to LA is that the mornings always feel like Europe or London they're very gray and smoggy and this is the first place in the world I, I, I learned you actually your weather burns in mm, it's, yes. it's not sunny to order the, we're the, lazy in LA you know, everybody <laughs> sleeping in the Sun sleeping in too we all sleep then oh. Well, it's good to see you again. You too. And, uh, you know, Rob and I have, have collaborated and spoken quite a bit over the years and I've come to realize he, he is without doubt one of the world's absolute experts when it comes to culture. Thank you. Uh, he's also the author of the book, The Culture Blueprint. And so, you know, we're here today, Robert, to talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, your take on why culture is so important. Yeah. Awesome. Let's do it. Uh, people talk a lot about culture, uh, but in a corporate sense, what does it really mean?
1: It really comes down to, it, it, it's it's the things that are invisible in a business. And it's the system dynamics of what connects people. The analogy I like to use is, I recently watched the uh, the NBA all-star game. Um, I didn't watch it, I watched only parts of it because it was so boring. You know, you get these all-stars together, you'd think it would be the most amazing thing ever but it's nowhere near as amazing as seeing a great team that connects and they're not all all all-stars but they can read each other's minds they can see each other's moves and it's because of what's invisible it's what's between them and so when it comes to, to corporate it's about the relationships between people which comes down to language and communication and deeper structures around beliefs and values so culture is what exists regardless of the business everybody's in communication. And so the cultural dynamics or the dynamics of communication that guide those relationships that make for strong teams.
0: Uh, is that rules? Because uh, uh, if you look at a basketball team, there's kind of training and instinct that's kind of built into people. But when it comes to people in relationships, uh, does it follow a similar pattern? It does. You know how much it does like
1: there are there are rules we're not even aware of. So, for example, when I see you and I say, hey, how you doing? And you say, good, how you doing? And I say, good. What we're doing is engaging in a protocol. Right. That's just our intro protocol. It has nothing to do with how you're doing and how I'm doing. It's like computers doing
0: a handshake. Exactly! <laughs> it's like
1: a modem handshake. It's like input, output, input. Yes, we're connected. Whereas we do that because it creates that safety protocol conversation because well, otherwise how, where are we starting exactly huh. so these kind of rules and protocols are very subtle but they're embedded within culture right
0: and, and what do those initial rules establish that it, that it's safe to, to to be honest it's all about safety right. it's
1: all about that's the underlying aspect and I learned it when I was at Zappos um, I thought my team was great and tight and amazing and we had somebody come in to, to just scrum and agile and long story short he revealed that my team didn't feel safe. They did not feel safe to argue, to contradict me, to uh, express themselves. And right. it amazed me because I thought, this is Zappos, we've got a great culture, how could we not feel safe? But safety is really underlying everything, because how can people... I, I, when people say, oh, I want you to fail, I want you to experiment, I want you to do things, and they get frustrated that their teams aren't, it, it's because they don't feel safe to try to fail.
0: And this almost goes back to prehistoric times where we are on the savannas looking for the apex predator, right?
1: Totally, <laughs> totally, exactly.
0: So, w- w- when you start to think about culture in, in that sense of safety and communication, uh, w- what defines a good culture?
1: It's interestingly one that has a lot of noise. Right. That's, that's one of the key tales I can tell is that the, uh, the key marker of a culture that's in trouble is it's really quiet really quiet or I've even been to some conferences that are really quiet and it's a muted conversation because people don't feel safe whereas you know you talk about Apple in the heyday and they're yelling at each other they're just swearing at each other they're um, because there's enough safety to argue like that
0: so so you mean noise in terms of just people talking yeah you know, literal noise information mm-hmm right there's, there's a degree to which that is also culturally determined though right like I mean if you take an American company I think I've always thought this, that because of the uh, presence of show and tell, you know, <laughs> you know in, in American childhood life, there's an openness to communicate. Mm. But if you go to like an Asian culture, you know, there's a very uh, authority driven, you know, you should be quiet unless you have something to say. Sure. So it's, sure. it's, it's harder to create those kinds of cultures in, in other markets.
1: Yeah, I could see that, and I gotta say, you're 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 way more
0: qualified to speak on that <laughs> than I am. So, um, uh, tell us a little bit about your experiences with this, because you know, I, I guess the, the kind of the critical moment for you came when you were working at Zappons. Can you tell us a little bit of your story there, and sure, how you led them on a journey.
1: Sure. So I was actually um, marketing business books at the time. But I was also obsessed with a model of publishing that uh, most people weren't aware of. I found out about it through um, David DeAngelo, a dating expert who I studied. Most people have never heard of him because his idea was, I don't want to get my name out there and be publicized. I want my customer in here. So if you search for the right things on Google, you'd find his work and you'd buy it. Ends up being he makes $20 million a year, whereas, you you know, the the other dating experts, you might see them on Good Morning America, but they're making no money. And so I studied that model and I wanted to figure out how to work in it. I ended up sending the book I was working on, Tribal Leadership, to Tony of Zappos. He loved it, invites us in, we do uh, a few speeches there, Um, he, he loves it, and at the party that night, I call it a party, they call it a happy hour. A Zappos happy hour is better than most companies' parties. <laughs> it was at 4pm, it was during work hours, there was karaoke, drinks, food flowing, people having a blast at 5pm on used, a Wednesday they night. They do this every day? No, 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 oh. no, this is the quarterly merch, okay. merchandising happy hour. But, it, you know, most people when they picture happy hour, they think, oh, after work drinks with people that are really awkward, for a company happy hour, you know? Right. But this was a blast. And during that, I went to see Tony and he was standing there with David D'Angelo, uh, the dating expert. And I said, is that David D'Angelo? He said, yeah, his real name's Evan Pagan. And I said, oh my God, I have bought all his CDs. And Tony, the CEO of Zappa said, I have all his CDs. <laughs> and we started talking about the dating product, but also this business model. And at the same time, Tony had an idea to productize the culture but he didn't know how to do it. So I just said, I've been thinking about this all the time. I sent Tony idea after idea just for free, just cause I love talking about it. And he said, can you do this for Zappos? And I said, yeah. And I created a proposal for a, uh, what Tony's idea was a membership site originally. Yeah. Um, and I created this whole plan and he said, can you get 2000 members? And I said, yes. You know, what are you going to do? He said, no, I can only get 1500 Tony. Like, yeah. yeah, I said, yes, 2000 members. Then he said, no, 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 actually, we need 5,000. I said, sure, you got it. <laughs> and I devised this whole plan, they love the plan, I get in there, within three weeks, I realize the plan's not gonna work. Because right. you got corporate, you got tax, you got legal, you got all these things that I didn't know about before. And it's all about, you know, as they say in the lean startup world, the pivot, right? And the, the pivot was, we threw an event to, um, to, to record content for this membership site. So all these Zappos fans come in, we teach them about the Zappos way. At the end of it, I said, okay, how good was that content that we're gonna have for this website? And they said the content was okay. I was like, okay? <laughs> I've bet my life. I moved out to Vegas. I said, Tony, I'm gonna get 5,000 members. What do you mean the content's just okay? <laughs> and, um, and they said, no, 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 but the experience of being here blew our minds. Mm. And I said, oh, okay. So we pivoted and switched the whole business model to Zappos experiences rather than Zappos content. And I realized how People much... People
0: wanted space camp. Yes.
1: <laughs> great word for it. They yeah. wanted, And it felt like being a camp every day. They yeah. never wanted to leave. And so we built a whole business model around it. And after, um, after six months of this, they actually came to me and said, you know, wait, where's our 5,000 members that you said you were going to get us? And I said, you know, you're right. I didn't get it for you. But I said, I got the revenue projection for month 12 at month 3. Can we still talk? And they said, okay, why don't we talk about this? And then they started to see, okay, maybe we can keep going. And we developed these whole sets of experiences. And I developed something that was just an idea in Tony's mind to a whole 25-person company within Zappos, a multi-million dollar business of creating experiences for, for visiting companies and individuals. Which is
0: very similar to what Disney did.
1: Yes, with the Disney Institute, yeah.
0: yeah. And, and, and I think there's a certain fascination of by other companies when they look at a company like Zappos, how they manage to essentially an online shoe retailer managed to create such an incredible culture
1: yeah and what I loved about we went to do the Zappos training Rich Carlton is the same thing but they kicked us out they wouldn't let us take it Right. saw us as a competitor Um, but like for, I felt for that it was like being behind a glass wall like at the zoo you, you kind of got to when watch was at, at, at Disney at Disney you know like it was it was, it was was good it was informative but they kind of took you on the prescribed tour whereas what we were it's doing it's like going to North Korea <laughs> 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 ours was especially at the time so fast and loose that we set people loose like you could go talk to people we got them uh-huh. on the phones for customer service to overhear calls like they just got to wander in the halls meet in the cafeteria with people so it was an actual cultural experience that we created as opposed to just Watching the culture,
0: and, and and what do you think was the secret sauce at uh,
1: That's a great question. Um, what they what people realized was, uh, you know, and this is what I call in the book why culture is, comes down to a feeling, is that they they when people said when people walked away from it, it wasn't oh I learned the ideal hiring tip, although we we gave them that. Um, they said, you know what? It came down to individual conversations where people were really present. They said, hi, and really meant it. They said, how are you? Like people were really connecting and smiling and laughing. And they realized it comes down to a feeling. Like you could have all the best practices, quote unquote. You could have all the best techniques. But if it doesn't feel good to be there, none of it matters. And so they saw this place that's literally a mess. I mean, if you walked into Zappos um, and were there at night, you'd think the place was robbed. Because there's just, it was just, especially in the Henderson office, just chaos and a mess. And people would say, how can you get any work done here? And you've got all these things going on. But being number one in customer service by American Express's customers, and when I was there, like a top 10 place to work showed the results and they kind of understood oh if it doesn't if it doesn't feel good none of the techniques are worth it. It,
0: it was this established because the leaders of the business gave people permission to essentially you know communicate in very different ways or did it sort of more spontaneously emerge as a result of other more grassroots things it was both because at first it was
1: just tony and his friends so it felt really just fun and fast and loose but then it was actually the legal department who said you need a framework to hire people right which started the development of the core values process and then the core values guided everything and what amazed me being there was i was never called into any office because i didn't make my numbers or something it was only when they thought i potentially violated a core value than anybody gave me a lecture. Huh. And so the core values running things as opposed to numbers, revenue, quarterly goals, um, that's what created the big shift.
0: This is a big theme, isn't it? The difference between values and metrics. Yes. Uh, I mean, traditional 20th century organizations are based on metrics. Right. Uh, quarterly earnings, um, a whole bunch of them, KPIs. What is the difference between a metric and a value? Well, the
1: the metric is simply, it, it's the difference between um, you know, if talking about basketball again, uh, John Wooden was asked how he coaches great teams. He said, love your people. Just love them. That's a value. Whereas the, that value leads to behaviors and habits and actions, and then finally the metric is the equivalent of the scoreboard. Right. So if you're focused on the metric, that's the equivalent of a basketball player watching the scoreboard the whole time during the game and talking all about the scoreboard and saying, how can we change that score? Right it tracks and you absolutely need it but you got to get your eye off of it entirely right so the 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 values are much more high leverage whereas the metric just tracks it the other difference i found is that um a lot of companies have this reversed where at zappos metrics are a group responsibility whereas culture and values are an individual responsibility you are absolutely held accountable to those values. But huh. the metrics are so much based on everybody that individuals aren't
0: held accountable That's to actually that. very counterintuitive in some ways mm-hmm. because we often think of values as something that is more fearable. Right. Not, not not, someone you've got an individual responsibility for. Totally. Uh, so at a company like Zappos or other innovative companies, what are the kind of values that they generally hold as important?
1: Yeah, it, what I love about it is that it differs per company, but yeah. the important part is dedicating to it. So for example, Zappos, all all about service right uh, Apple's about design and excellence so you see them um, uh, like for example at Zappos it's a mess and sometimes even the back end was a mess for a while it looked like the early 90s it all worked fantastically but there wasn't a design focus Right? Uh, you know Google's got an engineering focus Um, It really IDEO's got their innovation focus and uh, to me what what the secret of this is know what drives what know what the top priority is Which is why I, I really believe that Apple at its core doesn't really care about customer service. They care about excellence. And then when they realized they really needed to do customer service, they said, how can we be the most excellent customer service?
0: Right. Which is just a different psychology that gets you to the same place. But they had to find a value-based bridge in order to do it. Exactly. Uh, That makes a lot of sense. And I guess it also goes to what I know you write and talk about, which is that you can't design culture. Mm -hmm. To some extent, you have to find it and and augment it. Yeah. So if you're a company and you want to go through this process of focusing on culture and values, where do you start? You re- the, the
1: only way to start I've seen is getting as honest as possible, and the, I've, I've only seen two really good techniques to do that. One is on the group level, one's on the individual level. Right. The group level is open space, open space technology that allows a group to form their own agenda, talk about what they feel is important, and then people vote with their feet. There'll be like ten different ev- uh, conversations going on, and you see where people go, they put it all into a report afterward, and people are totally free to talk about whatever they want, and that's that's one way to take a temperature of a culture and that's on the group level. Can
0: you do, do you think a group like that can come up with what the values of a company should be? They can come up with the data set essentially, but what I've found is it takes the
1: leadership finally saying, locking down and saying, all right, we've heard all the data, we've seen there are like these 20 or 30 or however many there are, we're going with these. But everybody feels like bought in essentially to it because they contributed. Right, right. Yeah, and the individual level is, it's not the 360 interviews. It's not like Survey Monkey. It's an actual <laughs> in-person, where I can see your eyes, and I say to you, Mike, you know, I, I'd like to get some feedback from you, and I I want you to tell me the thing you think I don't want to hear. Right. And that's the only way I found to get the actual real story.
0: <laughs> Probably some stories you weren't planning. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you're if you're a traditional company, um, how, how different is it to try to go through this process of cultural rejuvenation as opposed to if you're a hot tech startup? Because you know sure. it's funny when you when you read about you know these companies that are held for having great culture. Often they're doing something very cool anyway, so it's not so difficult to get people excited and you know yeah. engaged.
1: It's interestingly not that different only because the companies that do it, like I was talking to a big 50,000 person company that did it, but they did it like a startup in that it was a, a leader who was empowered with his group of about 200 people to go for it. And I don't even know if he was empowered. I think he just did it. But it was like he had a startup within a big company. So you're right, doing it with a big company is turning the Titanic around. I don't think it can really be easily done. But companies are just made up of divisions, teams, and people. You can change on any of those levels. So you can declare my team is now a startup or my division is and I'm gonna do things. And it takes, you know, I can I see some people hearing this and having all kinds of resistance. It does take risk. The people who do this tend to do things that risk getting fired, but they believe in it so much, and they believe it is for the higher good of the company that they're willing to do it.
0: So if you're a leader of a very big organization, what is your key lever in terms of getting cultural change? Is it starting these little forest fires, or is it changing your email communication system to a social network? Like, like, what are some things, you know, that have the maximum impact?
1: Yeah, there's two. The, The most important is that people Is their believability? Right. Do they? You know, Tony still goes to the cafeteria and serves people mashed potatoes. So when you say, is he humble and is he of service? You're like, yeah. Okay. So is whatever the CEO is considering a value? You know, if I see a CEO saying customer service is important and they've never done a day of customer service in their own company, right. people are saying, how it's not the credible. heck, yeah, how do you know anything about customer service? So a CEO's believability is absolutely key. They'll run through walls for somebody that they feel is actually living it, breathing it, doing it, and is with them. Um, that's one lever. And the other is what you said about the fires is that can they, they know they can't move the whole ship. Can they focus energy resources on, on a smaller group and then leverage that story for the rest of the company?
0: One of the things that we spoke about before, and I've always found a very fascinating idea is that culture in a way is a kind of an operating system for a company. Yeah. And, and I know you've thought about this a lot, the, the kind of the, the link between ideas coding and, and computer technology and culture and people and communications yeah can, can you give me a take on your current thinking around that
1: sure sure so you know computing programming and, and, and programming languages really comes down to certain protocols it's a language yeah. the same way we speak English computers are a language and they understand how to do things and we don't realize it but we're going through many different protocols a day when you enter a meeting you know for example there's just there's even unspoken ones. Like, you know, there are certain things you don't do. You don't just start blathering on and on. You don't um, um, just start working on your computer, not paying attention to anybody. Like who does that at a meeting? But there are certain protocols. And I find that the companies that are explicitly creating them rather than leaving them to chance are the ones that are really successful cultures. So for example, there's there's a protocol in a meeting. Is it okay for us to be on our cell phones? Some cultures will say yes, some cultures will say no. Where you get into problems is where, like computers that can't talk to each other. If you think it's okay to be texting the whole time and I think that that's terribly annoying, we're going to have an awful culture. If we're agreed, it's fine. It's all about alignment and agreement.
0: Okay, so you could have a meeting where everyone's on their phone, and that's totally fine if that's part of the culture. Exactly. Right. Um, What other aspects do you think map to programming and, uh, I guess, thinking about computer technology?
1: Sure. So mo- most of it when it comes down to culture actually does come down to meetings because the, the, the subunit of culture, I define culture as anytime more than one person's in a room. Right. That's when so it becomes culture. You don't
0: have a cultural experience by yourself. You
1: don't. You really don't. It just doesn't apply. It's just you. You can go crazy. Um, but anytime there's more than one person, it becomes a meeting. Mm-hmm. And so meetings are the subunits. And it's it's amazes to me to me... Um, if. If anybody wants to shift a culture just focus on meetings because it's not that's the subunit of it and so there's there's um um, like one example of this is the frustration somebody will feel in a meeting is they'll think what are we here for Hmm. and then so what is the intended purpose the same way purpose of Microsoft Word is to write a document what is the purpose of this meeting And how do we know what our progress is? So like a progress bar in in a computing system. You know, you just feel better when you see, okay, 50% through, 75%. Whereas imagine if there was no progress bar. right? And you would just feel insane. Like how long is this install gonna take? (laughs) It just drives you nuts when you don't know where you are in the process. And so it's a simple hack in a meeting where you take sticky notes of like a Kanban system of to discuss, discussing, and we're done with. And then you know how far you are in the process. Whereas when people Don't have that. They go crazy in meetings, thinking how, where are we? What are we doing? It's like the spinning wheel. (laughs) It is. It's a good call. It's when it doesn't work. It's the spinning rainbow wheel of death. Exactly. Exactly. And I think we're only on the um, the the precipice of of this of starting to realize. Wait a minute. Computing and culture are not all that different. And as we start to apply more of the principles of code to culture. We're going to see a lot more happiness. So I like Malcolm Gladwell started in on this. He didn't use code, but his book, um, uh, not Blink. It's one of the more recent ones where he talks about the airplane analogy. Like David and Goliath. No, um, uh, Out, outliers. 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 Right. So you know this. The, 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 what the problem was there. All all culture problems come down to issues around communication, and the what they found was these pilots, especially in other cultures beyond America, like you said the co-pilot would not feel safe mm. to bring up an issue to the pilot they say this happened in the asiana crash you yeah know, where they
0: had, the, they had the Korean culture of authority didn't allow the co-pilot to intervene
1: right so when there's an issue of safety protocol addresses it because they developed the protocol for the exact words to use when there's an issue and the exact back and forth because a protocol creates safety so cultural safety was created with like basically a computer protocol input output back and forth to create a safe conversation that shifted the culture. Great example.
0: And I, I think one of the um, more controversial applications of this idea is around holacracy, mm-hmm. in which also Zappos are experimenting with at grand yeah. scale. Uh, holacracy is kind of an attempt to reprogram a, a culture almost you know, right down to its protocols. Totally. C- can you explain you know, uh, as best you can in a, in a, in a yeah. short gist, what is holacracy uh, you, and you know, uh, what, is, what is Zappos trying to do with it?
1: Yeah. After taking their 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 expensive training and talking to a lot of people at Zappos, and uh, and and studying it and studying the roots of it, the best analogy I can use for it is the intention is like going from Outlook to Gmail, in the sense of. Early day computing, it's based on the metaphor of the desktop, right? You got files, you have folders, that's an outlook, which means in the real world, I can only put one file into one folder. You can't have them in, in, in several and be the same document. Right. You could print multiple copies, but if you change one, it won't change the other, right? So Gmail finally said wait, why are we operating under this old metaphor? and they threw out files and folders, and they used tagging and priority, et cetera, such that now in Gmail, you can tag a full, uh, 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 an email, and it lives in multiple places. That's what computing can do for us. We don't have to live by this old 3D analogy. It's kind of going from 3D to 4D. So take that and apply that to a company. In the 3D outlook analogy, I am one person, I am on one team, and I have one role that has these certain tasks. So holacracy and sociocracy in these systems are looking to go multi-dimensional to say, wait a minute, you don't have to be on one team. You don't have to have one role. So people are now in what's called multiple circles and they don't have one job description. They have many different roles that they can have. So it doesn't look like I'm the marketer. I might be the person who blogs and be the person who helps out with the interface over here. And it's like a totally designed role as opposed to we're hiring for the marketing coordinator position.
0: To some extent, senior leaders have always had that kind of multitasking yeah. capability. This sort of just brings it down to everybody, right?
1: Right, right. Um, and it comes with its demons, though, for sure. Because right now, there's a lot. Like I talked about protocols. This has a lot of protocols that are extremely strict. Right. And you have to follow them exactly to the rules. Which the 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 best cases I've seen in Holocracy are interesting. Is what they'll do is they'll do it for six months. They'll hate it absolutely hate it then they'll stop and they'll just go cold turkey off of it and then after three months they'll be like wait a minute things were kind of better back then weirdly and then they'll reintegrate it but according to their own customization
0: right do you find that i guess the the protocols that you get as a result of this kind of very strict systems lead to better culture or the kind of the cultural question is can be independently solved without going through something as extreme as holacracy
1: to me it's the equivalent of if you want to be a space traveler right now. Right. You know, like, yeah, it's really cool and interesting, but but it's gonna take a lot of work, a lot of money, and you might die during the process. Right. You know, and so that's why I think I like God bless these early adopters, like Zappos and the others, because they are going through a lot of pain with it. They are figuring things out as they go, and it is getting somewhat better results, but they're 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 losing a lot through this process. Right. And so So there may actually be multiple operating systems in the future. I think, this is what I think is happening, is like the early cell phone days. Early cell phone days, everybody had their own system, everybody had their own operating system. When a developer developed a game for a cell phone, pre-iPhone, you had to develop for like a hundred different platforms, it would drive developers nuts. The operators of the phones controlled everything. Apple changed that all and said, no, 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 we're going to standardize this, we're going to have an API, we're going to have a system where everybody can play, and we are going to control it. And I think the analogy is way more literal than people think. Because to me, the mind blowing thing about Apple with the iPhone, especially the iPad, you give it to a little kid, they don't need a manual. They know how to use it and they love it. And you don't have to tell them, you should use this more. They're like, no, 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 I love using this thing. You don't have to tell me that. So the big breakthrough potentially for corporate is who's going to develop an enterprise level iPad operating system that people love to use, because right now it's still in the Stone Ages.
0: Robert, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show. (laughs) It's so fun.
1: I feel like I can just keep on talking to you forever. And I I feel like I want to interview you. I think you've got, you know, a lot of cultural insights as well. And hopefully I can have you on my podcast. thanks. It's great to see you. Yeah, you too. Cheers.
0: You've been listening to Between Worlds, For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash between worlds.